Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. We don't really have a topic for this podcast. We're going to answer some subscriber questions. We haven't done that for a while. And we're just going to see what happens. You had something you kind of wanted to talk about, didn't you? No. Nothing. Well, I just don't. I don't. I, when I there's about, no liberal government, he's got nothing left. That's so true. I, I went through the existential. Christo and Nine I years. were just calling each other on that night, just being like, "Is this gonna evolve? Like, are you happy?" And then it was just like, "Not really." And I was like, "Me either." It was just like, "Do we have a purpose anymore?" Damn. I know. Yeah, it's just it's a bit it's a bit aimless after that. It's just, the, the only thing that keeps me going now is I'm just I'm kind of excited about doing a bunch of Mr. Beast things of just like we saved a thousand dogs, we planted a million trees. You can go after the teals. You can go after. You got to find a new enemy. You got to find a common enemy that gives people so, purpose. An enemy. It does give people purpose. Yeah, That's see? exactly what politics is about. You see everything with the as in the lens of heroes and villains, uh-huh. and you need a villain. You need villains. Yeah, see, I'm too, like, I'm like, oh, well, everyone else is good and bad. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> you definitely <laughs> see something like that. Um, An endless way up of positives and negatives, whereas I focus purely on negatives or positives. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's totally binary. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, if, if it's 55% positive and 45% negative, I think that's something that I would uh, be in favour of. Yeah, that that is exactly how you see the if world. It's, if it's... If it's Spoken as though it's 100% positive, I immediately don't trust it. Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't trust you. That's when a, when a, when a uh, political party is like, these are all the good things we're going to do. I'm like, I don't trust you. Mm. Tell me some, some costs that you're going to bear or just what are some potential negative ramifications of those supposed good things? And then I'll be like, all right, yeah, cool. I trust you now. That's amazing because you know what? Every every time I ever hear that, like when they're just like, "Yeah, we've made some mistakes," or they say something like that, I'm just like, "Weak." That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's <all I> mean. <laughs> mm. So like, I yeah, like it really, really doesn't appeal to me the whole like wishy washy gray area thing. I, I can't, I can't ascribe to yeah. You're very it's like, different huh? in that. Very yeah. different. You really there'd be some kind of psychological personality testing that that would really play to is those two things. Yeah, and you would see like it didn't have completely different ramifications on all aspects of your life for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because every time you target someone, it's this person is just not evil, but uh, uh well, they're definitely not the worth villain. My time, yeah, they're the villain and hero. All the bad things they've done, they're irredeemable. I'll say that. And it really, like, yeah. e- even when people are always saying to me in things, it, it, it would really help you if you acknowledge, like, a, a few, like, character flaws or, like, a few bad policies or something like that. It, it sticks at my craw so much. It really does. It's yeah, actually it's, something that makes me angry. It's not in your personality, is it? It's not for some people, whereas... Uh, I don't think I do something like that out of politeness. I think I just... No, you just like weighing things. Yeah. Yeah. Just try to see the good and bad. With like political issues, I definitely... No, it's everything. Everything you're always trying to... It's actually a very noble trait of yours, that you actually are trying to see 
the positive. It's not even like the good and the bad. It's like the positives and minuses. Yeah, but I get stumped in overthinking as well. Sometimes it'll just be easier if I'm like, oh, this is bad. This is good. Mad. Yeah. That'd oh, be easier. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Um, anyway. It's a very decisive view of the world. If you are an overthinker, you should get some Crush Organic CBD oil. Nice. Yeah, that was a sick segue. That was, that was the cool. best segue like we've done. Uh, Crush Organics, they got the best CBD oil. And uh, I've been using the platinum oil for, well, over a year now. It's godsend. Sleep like a baby every night. Okay? Get eight to nine hours. That's unheard of. I never, I never got that. So get yourself some Crush Organics. Crush with a K. Go to crushorganics.com. Use the code Neil. You get 40% off. So... What are you waiting for? Go to crushorganics.com and they've got a a huge range of oils. Whatever level of CBD you're looking for. Just a bit of light CBD or they've got the diamond oil for your heavy users. And uh, as always, read the label. Use only as directed. If you haven't done it before, start off with just uh, two or three drops. And they've got some other products as well. They've got uh, pain cream and they've got CBD oil for your pets. So... If uh, you have no purpose anymore, like Jordan, mm. you, you, you one way to, uh, to yeah to, to minimize the existential overthinking is <laughs> to just be unconscious most of the get time. Get some of that crushed organic CBD <laughs> oil. All right, let's. Uh, all right, I've got three questions for you, Jordan. Um, so there's one about our podcast. There's a question about. Um, uh, things that we may have done previously in the podcast, more on the like production side. There's a question about. Uh, ooh, okay, so this one is about business and family and values and how that inter- how that interplays with podcast podcasting. Basically, what it's it's. it's yeah, it's tailored to us. We'll say that. Great. And then this question should be is is about the the Philippines and the new government they have there. So, out of those three, do you have a preference? I don't know anything about the Philippines, so probably not that one. But the other two, okay. Well, I got a new. They got they had a new president elected. Didn't even know. And what's the deal with him? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know much. All right, you know what? We should probably study this one before we answer it. But yeah, uh, probably. I heard he's basically part of this kind of. His father was a um, president in this, I think, in the seventies, eighties, or something like that, and he was a strong man, dictator type figure. And there's this sort of bloodline, and you know, he's part of this kind of political oligarchy. And the boxer Manny Pacquiao actually ran, didn't get much more than five percent of the vote. And that uh, Duterte's, I think, daughter ran and people thought she was going to win. So Duterte, I think you can only have one term or something as the Philippines president. And Duterte, uh, did you know about him? He was just Mm. a total hardline. And he, uh, I'm pretty sure, legalized extrajudicial killings if they're related to drugs. Mm. But it decreased drugs 70% or something like that. Sure it did. I'm sure it did. It would. If there was just lynch mob <laughs> mentality legalized, yeah. it would do it would bring justice. Yeah, but uh look, you know what? We don't I don't think we know enough about this one. Um Yeah. So he's 
talking about the exact person who won and where. That's not one we'd have to research, I think. So apologies there. We'll get to that. All right. How about we get to this first one that I was talking about? Okay. All right. So this is the second question from Ben. G'day, Ben. And if you've been subscribed, you can send in your second question if it's been more than a year. And if you want to ask a question, send in a shout out or a topic for us to cover, neilcohacker.com slash podcasts. And uh, all the all the money goes to charity, goes to the Life You Can Save charity. So go ahead and do that. Okay. Still an avid listener of the podcast, almost 12 months since the last question. Still loving your live shows with Dan and Max. Thank you, Ben. Jordan, I'm sure your show is also good. Thank you. That's great, Ben. Cheers. It's a bit passive aggressive. Yes, it is. I'm sure your show is also good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I want to ask you both, have you ever cut content from a podcast, video, or show that you feel like you should have left in? What was it? Why did you cut it? What makes you think differently now? Quite interested to see if you need to dig deep to answer this one or if there is something that comes straight to mind that you've spent time mulling over in the past. Thanks, fellas. Have you ever cut anything from a... Look, both of us would have been gone through a process of culling material for our live show. So that's something that I think... It's fair to assume you would have cut some things from a live show previously. Tons. Yeah. So Tons. That's just a process of refinement. So I've definitely cut jokes. You kind of have to try them out. In fact, most jokes get cut. You try them out. You think it's funny in your crazy head and then you go and try it out to... 10 unsuspecting people at a small bar somewhere in Sydney's inner west and they all hate you. Yes, it's so weird how that happens. It's a brutal process, but that's how you become a good comedian because you see the guys who have then been on radio or TV for a long time and aren't going through that process and they suck. A lot of it is that they... There's two things that are missing as well. It's yes, it's also the fact that they just have that canned laughter audience, so they just assume that there's kind of like a laugh there, or they don't have an audience. But I also think that they that there is a rhythm to being live, and there is a certain type of confidence that I've noticed that doesn't work. This is another reason why I think that that transition from people that do club comedy to going on radio doesn't work. Mm. It's because I've noticed this because of just being moving in and out of those mediums for so long. What works on camera doesn't work on radio and what works on radio doesn't work in front of a live audience. They, they, they're all this different... The only way to say it is there's a different type of confidence yeah, to all of them. Totally correct. So Yeah, it's a very rare breed of comedian that can transition well between both often... A lot of the people on radio, and, 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 you know, people are then misinformed as to who they should see live because they think, oh, this person has a profile, they'll have a great live show. And then, you know, just by virtue of not actually having seen a lot of comedy, they oh, that was good. And you hear something like that and you're sort of thinking to yourself, oh, I could name at least 10 comedians with a decent profile that would offer a much better live show. So mm. go to the people that aren't that well-known. Mm. If you're going through, if you're trawling through a festival guide, and maybe you've seen someone post some clips online, but they're primarily a live stand-up, that's the person you want to see, not the big guys that are always on radio or you know I mean, what come else see you us. But uh, yeah, come see us. We're great. But yeah. uh, the, the the other thing that you really don't want to, when you're trawling through it, I think, is you can tell when there's that sort of background with this uh, strong light on them, and it's like I don't know. 
a woman drinking tea trying to look pretty at the same time, you know, that's going to be a shit show. You know, <laughs> <laughs> There's you know, a lot of comedian like, posters that are like, oh, I'm trying to kind of look good but also be funny. Yeah. Yeah, great, great. You're not achieving either, really, are well, we're you? Not, we're not all models. We're not all former models. Yeah, that's true. You, you like you. you it's really at a. You. Yeah, it's effortless for me. Absolutely <laughs> effortless. All right. So, uh, cut content from a podcast. Yes, we have. Uh, I usually take care of most of that sort of. Well, uh, when you were having all that heat on you, you asked to get one or two things <laughs> taken out because <laughs> for legal it, reasons and cultural reasons. Yeah, it was uh, bad and. Mm. I think I now the thing is the reason that I do it, it well obviously when it comes to the legalities it's just because I'm just not allowed to but um, when it comes to cultural reasons the reason that I do it is mostly because I just realise like look I, I, I could die on this hill if I wanted to if I wanted to spend the next four months of my life fighting that argument I could do it but a lot of the time as you realise in politics you just it's better to just extinguish the fire instead of just to keep adding fuel to it. It's not actually really the reason of like, what are they going to think of me? It's more actually a tactical thing of like, it's not worth I just it. can't be bothered going down the sidetrack. Well, you know, there's actually a lot of things that stick at my craw culturally that I would love to say, but it's just, you know, like it's, it's such a deep dive. And you have to take people along that journey with you. That was when there was a lot of negative attention on you. So I, it, it's, I suppose it made sense to limit, Potentially harmful exposure. Having said that, um, I don't think I, I've cut out some things where I've actually revealed something a bit too personal, and then in hindsight, I'm like, I don't want people knowing that. Yeah, yeah. Not many. I think only once or twice that's happened. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever actually cut anything out I've said on the podcast. Oh, once or twice when we mentioned like particular, like specific people and said names, mm. I've realized, oh, if that gets back to that person, it doesn't sound good the way we've spoken about it or the way I've said certain things. So I'm like, I just cut that out. Mm. This is personal things sometimes. Mm. Um, but usually it's pretty, pretty raw. Like we just, I don't know. Steve, do you remember many things that are, we've cut out? Yeah, I really think it's a handful of times. I really can't remember that many times where we thought uh, that was too raw. Mm. That was red hot. It's very, very rare. Yeah. Sex sells, I think I've... um, Again, one or two things, but it was probably personal. But look, I've revealed... People basically know me more than... Most of my friends now. On this podcast? Probably, yeah. For sure. Said a lot of things I wouldn't say. So it's done now. The ones yeah. that are still listening are like, yeah, we've heard the weird shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's still like you. So, all right, Matt. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> See, the, the thing is, I don't even know why you would have deleted anything that you've ever said. I've, I have never actually said anything that you've ever said I'm actually not a good barometer, though, obviously. But, like, of just being like, Jesus Christ, that's fucked. You know? I've never... Nothing. Oh, no, it wasn't fucked stuff. It was just things where I'm like, oh, okay, I'd probably rather keep that to myself. You know, maybe... 
No, like too deep or, of a wound or something. Yeah, is things it? like that sometimes. Um, but uh, it's all the rage now. Men should be vulnerable. So <laughs> you know, I'll keep it in there next time. But uh, yeah, there was a few podcasts where I was definitely in a bit of a bad state. Um, and that was because I'd received a message pretty much in like maybe two hours before the podcast. And it was like a very brutal message. And I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll just do the podcast. But uh, Yeah, and I remember that, Tay, and it honestly was barely noticeable. It was amazing because you could tell that uh, it was brutal. It was amazing that you held it together. Probably the best heckle I've ever received was that message. Yeah? Yeah, because, like, I was just in all sorts and I was kind of being a bit desperate and just, like, was doing these kind of romantic gestures, we'll say that, and... um. One of which was just like this kind of like a bit of a scrapbook type thing. And then uh, part of the message was like, that book was the worst joke you've ever written. <laughs> so to be fair, yeah, yeah, yeah best heckle that. I've ever received. It's always, look, intimate partners will give you the best heckle. Yeah. They will. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was pretty much, yeah, a bit over a year ago where I was like borderline going to delete them. And then I was like, eh. Whatever. Um, and then videos sometimes on a very rare occasion, if uh, they're just not performing well at all, once or twice I've deleted a video. And then like once or twice I've looked back at a video I made five or six years ago and I'm like, all right, I'm going to put that one on private. Why? Because it's just it's like, like the, the culture very, shifted too like much. It, it, I mean, like, I'm very much against all of that, but there was just some where I'm like, all right, it's just like, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> that one, if, if that ever got out, that would be pretty detrimental. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, I mean, even then, I'm, maybe I I'm, wasn't even that bad, but uh, no, usually I haven't really. Like, in the name of the game now is just content. You're just posting so much that... It doesn't matter if you say some fucked stuff now and again. Like, people forget about it in two or three days. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, everything's going to be considered inappropriate in five years anyway. Mm. And so many people are posting so much content. And it's not like people are the big celebrities they used to be. There's, like, a, a portion of the population that has their eyes on you and sees you as a, as a star. And no one else cares. So if, you know, news.com or something was like, oh, look at what this person said in a video, most people would be like, who the fuck is that? Yes. Which is the response you want. Exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. Oh, I don't want you to know who I am. Um, it is kind of the best of both worlds, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there was one, like that, like one video I privatized was one where I was just like blatantly, I was like 14. I, I did say the, I said the N word and I was like, yeah, I can't keep this up. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's so a like, sentence. all right, fair enough. I've got to go take that. Fair enough. I was fair doing enough. a character. But, like, back then I just had no qualms doing any character. I was like, yeah, why can't I do that character? I can. And I still kind of, to a degree, you know, Chris Lilly did it. But uh, I was like, oh, just, I'll just privatise that one. You Probably know what I hate much. about that as well? I hate the cowardice of myself for not doing it. Because yeah, I do I was, I was, believe it. To this day, I would, I would just be like, yeah, right on Neil at 14. Yeah. You had it more right than Neil at 28. I know. And I, know? St- I don't want to perpetuate the culture of everyone like going back and be, oh, I've got to delete that, I've got to delete that. But like, there was one or two where I'm like, all right, we'll just... And I'm technically not even delete it. So if someone has major hacking skills, probably find them. But um, 
then there was one. For a while, I went from like privatizing it to keeping it public. Um, and I don't, I think it's private now, but it was one about like, uh, like consent laws or something. <laughs> and it was just, um, it was basically just a satire of what consent laws would be in, you know, 10 years. So, you know, the skit writes itself. Yep. Um, I think those two are the only ones I've kind of privatized, mm. or like deleted. Mm. And mm. then I used to delete tweets and stuff, but I'm not on Twitter anymore. And stories, if they're just, uh, if I just regret it or said something stupid, then I'll delete a story. But usually posts and things, I don't. Oh, actually, I know a video you've privatized because I was thinking about this the other day when Labor won and I'm, and because a lot of people saying like, oh, Jordan's been so, you know, for nine years you've been trying to achieve this. And I remember way back in 2013, before the 2013 election, you made a video making fun of both. You made oh, a yeah. video making fun of Labor and you made a video. Sorry, yeah, you made a video making fun of Liberals and you made a video making fun of Labor. No one would remember, not many people would remember this. Fuck, I and did it was delete a that one. Really good video. It was really funny. And then I asked you a few years later, I'm like, oh, why'd you delete that? And he's like, you're like, oh, all these people were like, oh, you, you know, how can you support this government? It's the worst government ever. But it was that one about um, like they can't change the country from this to this. And <laughs> it's the exact same yes. thing. And then yes. you're making fun of how people were saying, like, you know, Tony Abbott was bad, but it's like those oh, were we better videos. College boy, <laughs> that was a better video. I've, Bro, man, I really like those early. No, it's it's gone. Oh, I remember no. it. I remember it. I was, there was a point where I just realized, like, fuck, I've bought into the narrative, and like, I was so fucking ashamed of it. I got rid of it. Oh, because the narrative that like, oh, they're both as bad as each other. Yeah, because I was yeah. like, and you know what I was thinking? Because this was it was the shift. It was the shift in my mind. I remember it so well. I was like. If I keep doing this type of humor, maybe I'll get on whatever that 10-minute satire show was on the ABC because I could see that that was the view that they had and I thought as a result because I was younger and dumber that I was just like, yeah, that's the right view and I came to that conclusion myself. And then after a while I just realized like, no. No, no, first off, they are clearly better. And, and on top of that, like... It, it it like it angered and, and like I just kept seeing like because there was just all these people constantly being like they're both the same and I was just like you're a fucking idiot how could you ever fucking think that and so out of shame I was just like fuck I actually did think that at one stage and I deleted it mm. and now I should just own up to the fact that I was just like yeah I used to think that as well of course you would like that's that's what you're programmed to think but like yeah at the time I was just like just don't want anyone to see that you still make fun of both of them though huh you can still make fun if you're just doing like a sort of Light-hearted comedy video. You can you can go at all sides. I'm too. I'm too. Uh, I'm too. What's what's the word again? Radicalized. No, I'm, I'm not. Radicalized yeah, you specifically now. now, but like I don't think if if a comedian is making fun of both, that necessarily. I no, no, it no. Loosely it, it, plays into it. It it depends what the overall message of the video is, and if the overall message of the video is they're the same, I honestly think that is one of the most corrosive things to our democracy. So, like, it, it did. It, like, it angered me a lot, and then I just noticed when I was arguing with someone, I was just like, wait a second, that's right, I did that. I'm just going to pretend that never existed. 
Fuck, I forgot about that entirely. It was a great uh, man because I remember seeing both of those, and because in the arts world, everyone basically is well, most people vote Greens, and everyone else votes Labor. So I, growing up in the arts world, I was like, oh, look, everyone's everyone's on the left. And then I saw that. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. This is someone who can make fun of both sides. And, yeah. Yeah, that was the thing. And, look, you're right. If it came from a place of making fun of both sides, it's very different to coming from a place of, like, yeah, both. I'm being balanced. Yeah, okay. You know? Yeah, And yeah. that was my thinking back then. It was just, like, I'm being balanced. Right, right. That that was where I just, like, okay. I had to draw the line. I had to draw the line. I think, well, you, it, you, you, you know what, I think one. if you're making fun of them for, as, as is your forte, the cultural aspects of it, that's great. That's great. The underlying political ideology that you are espousing, though, I think actually is the thing that I've changed. Again, another one that I think I did delete, because the other thing is, like, most of the time, if anything ever goes private on my channel, it's not because of me. Even when I'm, like, saying to you, can we not put that podcast out? It's from pressure from my staff just being like, just, what's the point? What's the point of that fight, you know? So I'm just like, yeah, okay. Uh, The other one is, once, I remember it, I just fucking defended the ABC for like seven minutes. And then again, I just read more about it, got more involved in it, and I realised, no, this is a complete tool of the government. And then I was just ashamed of ever defending it, so I deleted it. I was just like, no, it's gone. There you go. There you go. So that's that's actually where it's... Uh, but every time it's always been, because it's just the, the huge obsession of my life is brainwashing and its effects. And I think that that is something that I actually am ashamed of now when I look back at it is things that I used to think. It's not because I'm kind of just like... It's, it's not ever that thing of like... A, Am I, am I going to, you know, am I going to be made? What's the thing? Like, like it's never actually, look, for me personally, the things that I never delete, it's never things like, oh, that's a bit edgy. Like, you, you can't say that anymore. It's never, it's never those things. Mm. Sometimes my staff are just like, yeah, we're getting rid of that. Uh, but, yeah, for me, it's always just like, I can't believe that I thought this. Like, that yeah. that's something where I'm just like, I'm just ashamed. I'm ashamed that I thought it. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? Is there anything that you look back at now and you're just like, fuck, that's cringy? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I'm not even talking about the joke. Like, shitty jokes, I'm always just like, I look back at it and I'm just like, there's an innocence to that and there's also like a... It's nice well, to see that you've progressed. Most you know? of my content was just joke work or satire. I was never really trying to make strong precise political points about the policy of a government or anything well, like that. To be political. Ideologies I would make fun of, and I always sort of tried to make fun of all the ideologies that were maybe sort of underlying various political parties or things. But I don't, you know, I don't read nearly enough to know, like, the specific policies or, or whatnot and to make a rational judgment. But uh, there are jokes in some of my early stand-up specials that I cringe at heavily, but because it's a big special, I can't just delete the joke. But is it because it's... 
why is it making you cringe? They're just they're bad jokes and what is in lazy or just no kind of young and stupid. Yeah, and, it was more. I was trying to actually appease the festival crowd. That's and the they thing were that angers. Yes, yeah, when well, you realize it's yeah. not even the ideology. The ideology is wrong. You're right. It's not ideology. It's actually just realizing like. I was subconsciously appeasing these people. Yeah, that wasn't me. Yeah, that's not me. You that's know? not you. It is. Like I was trying to wave all these points about like, yeah, um, the, you know, the global economy into some stand-up I was doing. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like that's not what a comedian, a 20-year-old comedian should be doing. Uh, and so what, you just thought like, if I say this. I'm signaling to. Comedy festival. The powers that be. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of comedy that was very, you know, there's one joke that's all about like, oh, there's these men who are just these like, they were super hyper masculine and they're always trying to like brag about how much sex they have and deep down they're just hurting and they're insecure. And I'm like, what the fuck? I was just saying that because I, I felt like that would appeal to those sorts of people. Okay. Yeah. And okay. I mean, it's in there because it's in a big special, so can't take it out. But um, I cringe at the thought of thinking that. Man, you just, know, just NPC thoughts, basically. Oh, okay, okay. Mm. Look, you know what? That's actually really cool that you have recorded and look at your previous stand-up shows because you would see that evolution and that every year you would be getting a little more pure. Which hope so. you would hope so, but also it is... The trait of a comedian. In fact, that's always the advice that I give when anyone ever asks me about stand-up comedy. It's two things. It's just write about what you're passionate about. And I know that this It's always every comedian says it because it's very, very true. It's just like you, you really have to say the things that you believe in. And when you see all those comedians that are pandering to uh, Token or whatever, it's very obvious. It's very obvious that it's pandering. It's very obvious, yeah. It is performative performance. <laughs> um, then I, when I was doing those serious videos, I, I think I deleted one or two of those because I was like, I'm just, this is just me trying to sound smart without actually saying anything substantive. Um, and then once I was doing these character blogs, this was when I was like 17, doing these, because uh, uh, vlogging was really big back then when YouTube was sort of in, just this sort of nascent little social media enclave for weirdos. Um, everyone was vlogging. Like, hey guys, welcome, all that shit. And I was doing vlogs as a different character each time. And then I think I was trying to just do like all, just kind of showcase my range of characters more so because I was trying to pursue acting. And then I did one as like an Aboriginal character. And then I think I've I've deleted that one, which again, I don't. It wasn't even that bad. In fact, there was this, like an Aboriginal guy that messaged me, being like, "Oh, did you take down that video?" I was like. Yeah, he's like, why did you get a lot of trouble for it? And I was like, nah. And he's like, oh, you should have kept it. So I could unprivatize it, but I don't know. It's still. No, but see, this is the whole thing. Again, it's, it's like, not it's like. Not it's not that funny and it's not that good. So it's not worth keeping out there. But there are ones that are way edgier that I keep because it's like, this is funny. Right. Okay. That's, 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 that's the one that you're always just like, oh, my God. But you realize that it is, as always, 
just the sort of cultural guardians of society that are really like iffy about it. And then you get at that all the time, a bunch of Aboriginals just being like, that was mad. Yeah, and then it's kind of like, well, <laughs> it's well like I'm actually any other ethnicity. I hate how they're yeah. always just in that protective bubble where it's just like, no, they mean. think the same thing as when you like pay out Indians or Asians or yeah. whatever, and they're just like, that's mad. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the same. So I. I just uh, – I can't remember if I deleted it, so I don't think I can unprivatize it. But, like, that's why I'd always do that. Those – like, I do every accent in all the Australian Two Minutes videos or whatever because I'm like, if I if I leave one accent out, that's actually being racist. Yeah, and all – like, like, oh, they can't handle it. They've been through too much. I can't make fun of them. No. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's that, that is that is the truly infuriating aspect of modern culture, isn't it? It's just this thing of like some some uh, yeah yeah some races and some uh, cultures isn't the right word. Something along those lines. Yeah, no, no, it would be it would be cultures. Well, you, just, you can't make fun of them. It's a subconscious need for to, to it's an outlet for a maternal instinct that has been repressed by society. That's what I think it is. And you're, you're so right because who is it People every do, time? It's young, it's young girls that are always, oh, don't you can't say that, don't say that. Every time? It's like, yeah, you should be a mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then if you were a mother and you like you would just be haggard and tired because you'd be running around a toddler and even if you saw that, you'd be like, oh, that's a bit mean. Caleb, get out from there. You wouldn't have fucking time to sit there and just be like, oh, did you have a dialogue about this? You just wouldn't. Yeah. You'd be gone. You're so right. You've you've nailed that. And it's so obvious because every time you hit one of those like cultural no-no things, what do you get? You get an endless enclave of white chicks just fucking being vicious to you in the DMs online. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, that and it's also like a bunch of gay men that are kind of white women culturally. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, and, then, and then it's, yeah, it's also, I think, a, an identity where people have sort of adopted the saviour mantra. And this is actually something maybe that, you know, progressives will talk about, like the white saviour or whatever, where you can't actually think rationally about the policies or the rhetoric that you're uh, putting out there because you are so invested in being that, good person and caring for other races or minorities or whatever it may be that you can't fathom that maybe what you're doing could actually be bad when really the 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 rational way of looking at it is all right we try this policy for a while five to ten years later we'll see what effect it's had Mm. and then we adjust Mm. no adjusting Mm. it's i'm dying on this hill no matter what (laughs) and i need to find the problems in society to maintain my identity of uh the savior but also just like very lazy ways of serving that savior complex. Just the ones that are just presented to you on social media instantly or through advertising being like, yeah, that's a cause that I like. Mm. Yeah, but like how about you read some books and learn about something that actually, you know, is of substance. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's, it's very performative. Um Yeah go for too long on that so we'll leave that but let's move on to the next question um thank you for that ben 12 more months we look forward to your third question so yeah ben and cheers that was actually really cool that was great that it was made good us, to just think about yeah i, I don't 
the leaning and things like that. That's interesting. All right, this is yes. a long one. Okay, this one is from Anon. Okay. Uh, hello, Neil and Jordan. I'd like to put forward a second subscriber question, but first I'll paint a picture to give it context. Generally speaking, I lived a pretty great life. I met a very clever, funny, beautiful woman when I was 24, and we've been together 20 years. Wow. I ran a small construction business for all but three of the past 18 years, yeah. and I have two kids aged 13 and 9. My marriage, children, and business have been for the most part, fun, successful, and satisfying. In mid-2017, I turned 40 and had not so much a midlife crisis as midlife rebirth. For one thing, I'd already begun seeking broader sources of information in the six months prior rather than the media inputs I'd previously leaned towards, ABC, The Age, Community Radio, and then got into podcasts. JRE, Jocko Podcast, Jordan Peterson, and Sam Harris are still in my top rotations the podcast and public intellectual world opened up a whole new narrative to me as well as introduced me to self-help books, self-help audible books, self-help YouTube videos, and generally a better mental attitude that reinforced it's good to strive, push yourself, aim high, and seek to improve, get up early, have focus, exercise hard, etc. Yeah, love hearing that. Off the back of all that, I feel like I've absorbed much more valuable information and advice and acted on it daily. I quit drinking and took to daily exercise. I did a course to help run my business better, and it is. And generally, I became a more active participant in my life. To be honest, just prior to this change, I'd become pretty unhealthy and overweight. Was boozing every day and had somewhat, and had become somewhat nihilistic. I had a slack attitude to a lot of things and was probably a bit absent from important aspects of my life. I feel as though the switch in narrative and self-help input literally put me on a better path as a person and especially as a husband and father. My kids get a much better version of me now and the message they get always is a message that encourages effort, focus and dedication to their goals and to set those goals higher while also being compassionate and patient and actively having a lot of fun, something I'm way more equipped to do since I no longer neck piss every day and got fit as fuck. <laughs> had I not had that change of perspective in my life and theirs would be in a different place. Not terrible, I'd say, but a shadow of where we are now. So to my question, what are the most important values, insights, ideas, and ideals you think you guys will someday bring to being parents? For? And how much has self-help literature and the current wave of long-form podcasts slash storytelling narrative contributed to all Contributed to that, to that, if at all. Tell you what, that's a, that's a pooler of a question. As as deep. That is deep. That comes from a man who has lived a life. Um. Look, obviously, the first thing that I'll be doing is I'll do my usual goal of getting a PhD in some subject. So as soon as, uh, my we're even thinking of having kids, I'm going to start reading a bunch of books on childhood development and psychology. Same. And parenting. I'll obviously be starting with Bill Cosby's book on parenting. And <laughs> that was a classic. Like, you just go to any... Huh? Health and nutrition. Yeah. Very would be vitally important at that stage of their life. Mm. want to make sure you have the right tools. And so, basically, I would think I'd take a very... Uh, well, much like um, our, our subscriber here, just uh, 
an outlook where I try to instill self-reliance and you know effort, focus, and aiming towards something higher without putting needless amounts of pressure on them, which, you know, it's always a balance. So, hang on, what does that look like? Ideally, what would your kid be? Ideally. What do you mean? In terms of occupation or what? The type of person... Mm, occupation... No, not occupation. Wow, a lot of it's also... Like the type of person. But that... A lot of that is going to be gen- genetic sometimes. And then you just got to kind of mold them in the right direction. Yeah, but I think that... I honestly do believe in that hippy-dippy thing of like uh, genetics. I don't even know if it is hippy-dippy. I think it's kind of just pseudoscience. But I think it is kind of a thing of like uh, genetics. I can't remember what this was, but it was something along the lines of... Yes, genetics shape you, but those genetics are activated because you just have yeah. so many genes in your body. That's true. They're activated by certain environments and beliefs. They're the hardware and then, the, yeah, the environment and the culture is the software. But it also affects the hardware. It really yeah. affects the hardware of like what is, if you're going to use the hardware thing, what parts of it of the computer are going to be used and what parts aren't going to be used. So, yeah, ideally, what would they be? And also, what would you call your kids? This is an endless argument that I have with my girlfriend. Well, I don't know about that. But uh, there's something not on our radar for a while. I talked to her and where you know she's still finishing her master's. So, yeah, it's at least, if it were to happen, at least five years away. Mm. But, but what would the, uh, okay, what values would we be trying to instill into them, first off? Like, and why, do you, why would that be the case? Like, what would you be shaping them to be? Well, you want to give them the tools to uh, be as sort of successful and industrious in whatever their given field may be. But I wouldn't want to limit what that field is. So if they show an aptitude for something at a very young age, I would try to sort of foster that, again, without putting too much pressure onto it. Uh, and I think having a sort of holistic and all-round education is important. Uh, the way I grew up, it was very, it was just, it was purely just academic. Now, even then, compared to other immigrant parents, it was actually quite holistic and broad. But um, I would have to figure out ways to sort of limit the pressure that is placed upon children because that can be detrimental. And I think that's actually, if you coddling of the American mind, like that's just such a brilliant book, but like too much sort of organization in the, in, in the lives of children and planning and structure can actually cause a lot of the mental issues that many Gen Z people are suffering from. So you give them as much free play as possible, but uh, you just want to, do the basics when they're very young. Um, but in terms of the specific values, like well, discipline, um, thinking of others, not just sort of unrelenting empathy to the point where you're constantly feeling sorry for people, but thinking about things beyond themselves. Ah, physical health, you know, you put them into 
weekend sport or whatever it may be, whatever they enjoy, hopefully. My parents taught me, uh, you know, the first one they were like, you need to learn how to swim. So that was important, I think, or something. It seems pretty logical. I mean, yeah. Don't want them to drown. No, that's good. Uh, yep. <laughs> man, this is a deep question, man. I don't, I don't, I don't specifically know the values that I would want to, um, hopefully patience. Patience is a good one. Um, Delayed gratification. They've shown studies where, like, the kids who can delay gratification in an ex- in an experiment as simple as, hey, if you wait a little while, we'll give you two lollies, mm. or you can have one lolly now. Mm. The kids that waited for the two lollies then later in their life were just far more successful and, and like, far less likely to uh, have issues with various vices. So mm. delayed gratification mm. would be a big one. Um Incentive structures. I, I think I've mentioned this on podcasts previously where uh, I don't know if he did this intentionally, but my dad actually never gave us specific, like pocket physical pocket money. He wrote it down in a book and then you could we could actually like gain interest on it if we if we kept it in there enough and we could deposit every deposit it every now and again. And what I was think, the interest? I wasn't much. I was like one percent. Yeah, but I think as it Listen got bigger, you could get more interest. He was, he was, he was smart because... I think that's why I'm so much better with my finances compared to so many of my friends. Of because course. they just, as soon as they get the money, they spend it. It's just not in my, like, I was just brought up in a way to just, you have to save it. Mm. It's not even like, oh, I just, I think, I think it came down to that. Mm. Mm. I think, well, obvious, like, it's just, it's so ingrained. Financial prudence, uh, that would be something I'd really want to, and especially who knows what the world's going to be like by the time they're in their 20s. So they need to be savvy with their money. That is something I would definitely try and instill. And value for education. That would be a big one. You want to lead by example as well. You need to be the best version of yourself. Because so much of what they take in, at least, at least especially like little subconscious habits, will be what they are subsumed into in terms of the de- behaviours of the household and, and the family unit. So you want to be the best version of yourself because that will then seep into their consciousness. Anyway, what about you? What are the values you need? One more question, if I may, just okay. before we do. But... How many of deep, those man. do you think are values that were taught to you by your parents of uh, what lot, you just said? A lot of them. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. So 70, 80 percent? What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I can't. How quanti- many I of those do you think that you've... It. Don't quantify it. Give me, give me like a general feeling then. Give me a general feeling. How many of those do you think that you learned and how many of those do you think of values that your parents put on you? Which isn't necessarily a bad thing because, like, your parents probably did give you a lot of good values. 50 to 60, maybe? 50 to 60%? 50 to 60%, and you think Uh the other 50% were, like, learned from books? And experience, yeah. Books and experience, okay. See, that's the thing that, obviously, like, it really depends on your parents, really yeah. does but that is the thing that freaks me out a lot he's like I, I do not want to be the same parent as my parents yeah but then everyone <laughs> does that and then they go the other way and end up doing something 
extreme the other end. Do you think that they go extreme? I think that they just end up because you do. You know, mm, like in trying to avoid it, you can sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I remember those. Everyone, the the, word, the last thing I want to do is be like my dad. Then they always they just go through a different avenue and it sort of manifests in a, in a, in a different way. But they just become that person. Yeah, there's like something that really freaked me out. Actually, it was uh, who one of our avid listeners. His brother was like one of my best friends in high school. He's got kids now. And while I was speaking to him once on the phone, his his daughter uh, started eating dirt or something. And so she it was just yelling at her, just being like, put that down. Yuck, yuck. That's just put it down now. And he was saying, it's incredible. There are these moments where your kid is doing an action or behaving in a certain way and you actually, it's it's just something that has just been conditioned into your mind, ingrained, some Pavlovian response from years ago. You haven't had to think about it, obviously, because the last time that happened, it was five. And you see history repeat itself in real time. Like you just automatically respond in exactly the way that your parents responded to you. And you have that flashback of just seeing that situation from your perspective when your parent did that to you and you can't control it. And he says that that actually happens quite a lot. And he was saying that that moment, even the words that he chose was exactly what his parents did when he was eating dirt. So, this is the thing that I think is one thing that I would be very, very hyper-conscious of while I am raising my kids is, you know, how much is history repeating itself and what were the outcomes of that? I would really like to think that I would be thinking about that a lot. Because even the fact that, okay, with with everything that you were just saying then, a lot of what you were saying, it does sound like what your parents would have valued. And again, there's nothing wrong with it because you turned out to be you and you're quite successful. So it obviously works. But like discipline, academia, uh, financial literacy, all of these things sound like they're like they, they were imparted onto you. And so it's just like it's uh, – that's the thing that is going to freak me out about being a parent a lot. And I know this from just the way that I deal with things, right? I know that one thing that will def- that, that I'm going to have to be very, very conscious of is not creating a rift between me and my child because I know that one day the child is going to do something that really pisses me off and I'm just going to be like, I'm not talking to you for six months. <laughs> <laughs> and I know well, that that's You're aware of it. You're aware of those avoidant tendencies. Um, I'm probably the, yeah, I got to be aware of the more kind of controlling nature. Sometimes when I feel like someone's doing the thing that is hurting me, I tend to get quite controlling. So I have to be better at just letting go and maybe just letting them make mistakes themselves or insert whatever cliche you want there. But you're right. Um, you, you do want to try to avoid the, 
the negatives that your parents may have instilled into you, but in trying to avoid that, you can often make things worse. It's kind of like in those shows where people go back into the past yes. to try and change the future. Yeah. But that's actually what causes the thing to happen. Yeah. So. And you notice yeah. this a lot as well. A lot of children, uh, children of psychologists always seem to be the biggest little shit. And I think it is because the psychologist so is just true. running an experiment on the kid the whole time. Because that's, you know, if you're a builder, you see everything as a nail. I, I know a few, uh, actually, one comes to mind, very notable example. Both his parents are psych, they may even be psychiatrists. And maybe not in a good state, we'll say that. Yeah. It is because of that. I swear. It's because they they overthought parenting. And then you see this a lot. People that are the most well-rounded, you can always see it every time, without a doubt, just good mums. They had good mums. And there, there is, as Paul Keating actually said, uh, when, when you do have that, you kind of have this like, blanket of a security blanket around you for the rest of your life you've got a blanket of confidence mm. and that's something that i think that you can't that, that really is probably a nature versus nurture thing of just the mum is naturally a good mum and that carries on whereas i think with the psychologists it's the same thing as just when they used to hold babies with the the forceps and then they die because they weren't getting any tactile stimulation like being held i think that's what's happened to their brain <laughs> oh my god There's nothing really genuine in the exchange Right, uh, right This is sort of a, what, like a hyper-academic view That actually manifests in something worse For the upbringing of the child It's an experiment gone wrong right. every time and It's just like, well, that was someone's life but Here you go I think that happens and that's actually something that I think I would probably have to, because this is the other thing I think that I do a lot is that I just get obsessed with one subject. Uh, I take it to the nth degree and, I, you know, the yes, same thing can. with comedy. For years when I was studying comedy, I was much worse at comedy than when I was just naturally doing it. And then you get to that happy ground, that happy yeah. medium ground, you know? Yeah, you never hyper uh, uh, theoretical view on any subject, but... You need to learn. The practice practi is yeah, different. Exactly. There's plenty of guys out there that could rattle off theories about what pick up artistry yeah. and then you see them in action and they suck. Yeah. Some people are just natural. So it sounds like you actually don't want to overthink it. But the classic overthinking trope is like, oh, I've got I to gotta not overthink. Stop overthinking. All right, don't worry about it. And then you overthink the not overthinking. Yes. And this is the other question. They so just do drugs. <laughs> you may probably imagine that. You're such an overthinking parent. Like, you'd actually be a better parent if you were half Just drunk. smoked weed. <laughs> just smoked weed a lot. Just be tipsy, not drunk. That's another probably thing. It'd be fun. Great playing with the kids if you're a bit tipsy. Yeah. That would... Man, if you could just... If you could become a... What would be the word? A light alcoholic. Yeah. You would probably, probably, probably work out parent. pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Would well. bring out the best in you. 
See, this is the thing. This guy here, tradie, uh, wife, probably a housewife or whatever. I, th- I think that's a good combination for growing uh, healthy children. I think that's like a real classical upbringing there. That's great. See, this is the thing. I think that my kids would be uh, widely ignored and raised by a nanny. Uh, that's my prediction of what that would be. <laughs> Because my girlfriend is also just like a highly strung workaholic. Right. And I can't imagine both of us being... This is the thing. This is the thing that I think works with uh, a mum, which I think ingrains subconsciously in their mind. A, a f- like very fluffy term here, but like unconditional love. If you have that feeling around you, I think that that makes you a much more well-rounded per- and, and yeah. confident person and more confident to go in directions that, you know, like in naturally and guides you in a good direction and makes you trial and error in a way that is beneficial to you, not just trial and erroring with drugs and like climbing yeah. up construction sites and things. You've probably got like this unconscious safety net, emotional safety net because of the way you were brought up. You won't have to. You know, needs were always met in that sense. And you're probably it's better it's easier to, for you to self soothe. You know what? Now that I think about it, all the people who seem very well rounded and most importantly happy, as far as I'm aware, that yeah, they had a great mum. Had a great mum. Mm. I well, honestly think it's like really obvious. Mm. Great parents, yeah. Great parents of, help. With, uh, you know, I can't think of an example where someone had a great mum but a bad dad. No, because the, this is the other thing. Like attracts like, yeah, doesn't it? Like yeah. if you if you have a great mum, it's they, yeah, they've obviously attracted p- people that just be generally happy with themselves. I think would probably raise good parents, or good kids. And see, this is the other thing as well. I think that uh, the fact that we are both deeply dissatisfied men would would actually rub off on our kids a lot. That general atmosphere of just nothing ever being good enough. And you know what else I think? I just like constantly privately judgmental of them and I think that would rub off on them. You're not wrong, man. I mean, I'm sort of coming to terms with that now having just working with a team and I'm realising so much of my um, need to control but also judgment and these things. But it's probably a good experience for me to reflect on that. But... um. You're absolutely right. And kids of really high-achieving parents often aren't good kids, hey? No. Nah, turn into druggos a lot, I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah, they do. <laughs> druggos and obviously parents of – this is the other thing. Uh, a lot of parents that were, uh, quote-unquote, successful uh, that I grew up with, um, they, they were actually, I found out much later on, massive drug addicts, but they were just high-class drugs and could afford the drug habit. And now their kids are like that, but they can't afford the drug habit. Yep, I know a lot of people are that. It's terrible. That really is a drain on society. Massive. Because the wasted potential there. Then I know a few people that had successful parents that it seems to be one or the other. If you have rich... Well, rich is not always... It could have been, you know, inherited money, but let's just say, you know, sort of upper-middle-class, wealthy-ish parents, they're either just upstanding citizens and are doing incredible things or they're druggos. There's not really an in-between. No. No. No, that's, man, yeah. And actually, you know what? This is the most important thing that you said out of all of that is actually really at the end of the day, 
they are baby birds and they mimic the call of the mother bird. And so really the most important thing to do is to ensure that you are uh, centered and have a level of self-esteem and self-value before you have children. Because now that I even think about it, now that I think about good mums, they they just have like a, a... comfortability in themselves. They're just naturally very comfortable people with themselves. You're putting, a, you're putting a lot of emphasis on the mum here. Surely you think that that, like, what, do you, what role does the dad play in this? Well, it's just that traditionally dads are out. <laughs> they're out. They're out. They're, they're working. Yeah, isn't that yeah. changing now? Like, aren't there more, you know, sort of parents that are both working part-time? And Yes. But, like, you know, most people, I, I, even today probably, right? Like most people even today... They would spend a lot more time with their mum. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of a statistic I heard recently where uh, the, one of the biggest things men are looking for in a long-term partner when they get to the certain, when they get to an age where they're actually looking for someone to settle down with is someone who wants to have children. And it pisses a lot of women off, a lot of sort of working professional women because then the pressure is on them to not sort of pursue their career. And I've even heard that women will sort of like – tone down their career ambitions when they're in a date scenario because they want to come across as more motherly because the what you would call the high value man or whatever is is actually not looking for someone who's as ambitious and career driven as him he wants someone to compliment that who will be very uh you know comforting and and feminine and maternal towards the children mm. um now the inverse of that is that i would assume that the equivalent female version of that, you, you very sort of high-functioning, successful, career-driven woman would probably rationally think, well, oh, I need a man who compliments that, someone who's maybe at home and is a bit, maybe can be a bit of that, like, um, house husband. But they just don't find those men attractive at all. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Kind of feel bad for them in that situation. <laughs> it's mad. That is, f- yeah, yeah. That, but you know what? You know, I honestly think that they probably would. Mm, no. Do you know anyone? Who, I don't know. I don't think I know a single person who had a whose mother worked full time and the, the husband was at home. Yeah, I know one. Yeah, and they're fucked. Oh, really? okay. Well, that's enough evidence. <laughs> don't do that. No, I mean, um, I'm trying to think if. Uh, No, a lot of. I mean, I, I was a single parent. Like, I had a yeah. single mum for a bit and single dad for a bit. A lot of people have that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the dad staying around at home is still, it must still be a massive anomaly. Also, just the fact that women actually naturally have the urge to want to stay at home and raise the kid. You know what I think is actually the wait, best. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Do you think that's every woman? Do you think that's culturally? No, but you know what I think? It's like, it's again, it's one of those things where it's like the culture has made it much more disproportionate than it is. It's like, yeah, there are the Margaret Thatchers of the world, but I think that the average woman, especially, you know what I think is the the number one giveaway about this? If a woman has ambitions in life, They should pursue those ambitions. If they are aimless, become a mum. 
Like, it instantly gives you purpose. Instantly. And also on top of that, there's like a thing that immediately happens with a woman and a, and a child because it grew inside them. There's like it's some, I can't remember what it is, but there's some chemical bound oh, in them yeah. that doesn't exist with men no. and their kids. The hormonal right? changes for uh, when she's pregnant and just giving birth is immense. Yeah. They'll love it. They will love it. I think the thing, you know what I think is a good giveaway? This is also like a, it's like an old adage thing, but it's definitely true, is look, if you can't look after a dog or a cat well, don't have a kid. I think that that's like, that's pretty, yeah. don't you think that that's a good progression before having children? It's just like, have a pet first. It's definitely, actually like definitely. even good parents do that where they're like, if you can raise this goldfish, then we'll get you a dog. Yeah. You well, know? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's like not as much responsibility and not as much work and you can see how you cope when you're having a stressful day. Um, You know, you're still going to put in the the effort. Still got to put in the effort. Mm-hmm. How would you rate, if you had a son versus a daughter, would you raise them Indifferently. I'm sure you would. Yeah, you, you probably couldn't, can't help it. No, of course not. Mm. What would you, if you, let's say hypothetically you had a daughter and what, you know, what would you, when it came to dating and things like that. And you know what, let's ask for the son as well. Let's say that, you know, that, 13, 14, 15, they're at that age where they're going to start doing things like that. Are you going to, what would you do? What's your parenting strategy there? Well, see, this is the same thing. And I would, I would just, it was actually the best thing that both my parents ever did. They both said this, it was, it was the way, at least to me, that it spoke to me, right? Where it was just like, Look, we can't stop you from having sex and doing drugs. Just try not to do them until you finish your HSC because once you do them, you're going to fuck your head up, right? Like, and, and, and then at that point, it kind of gave me a little goal and I'd never known what that was like before and I thought, yeah, you're probably right. I should go towards that. But that, again, it, it, it incurs to me that I was naturally ambitious so they were playing to the way that I would want to see that, right? And then the other thing is my dad actually sat me down once and... I don't think I'd had any drugs at that point. And he said, no, I definitely didn't have drugs at that point. And he just told me his life experience of, look, I've taken a lot of drugs in my life. It didn't screw up my life, but it did waste my 20s. And I think that I'd be in a lot better place now if I just didn't do it. And drugs give you an out for making situations where you should feel that discomfort and then strive for something and then you just have drugs and it's just like, oh, no, that's fine, actually. Like, just sitting on my couch is kind of fun. You just sit there and it just wastes your life away. And I think that that was actually a really good way of describing that. And I would say the same about sex. I'd just be like, just just don't do it until you're in uni. And, uh, and then, you know, what else I'd definitely add? This is one thing that I would definitely add to the sun. Get, what if they did it, didn't listen to you? Would you punish them or would you just sort of, you know, if you say, oh, I don't have sex till uni, but then... Then you see it. Well, I don't know if you see it, but I don't know, someone stays the night or something and then, you know, you get that bratty teenager 
you can't tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah, fuck you, dad. I'll do what I want. Maybe they run away, you know, just to keep the classic. Don't you think that, like, at that point it's too late? (sighs) Well, they... (sighs) Yeah, they then have to make mistakes themselves. And you would hope that whatever you've instilled in them up to that point would then bring them back to the... to a somewhat righteous path, but you're not wrong. By that age, it, it probably is too late if they're that headstrong and... Like you've done something wrong to raise them at that point. Well, yes or no. It could be in, uh, environmental factors, getting bullied or, you know, I remember um, just watching certain TV shows and just, I'd be like, oh, my dad's so embarrassing. I'm like, where did I get that from? I think I just got that from TV. Really? There's always like embarrassing dads around the place. Really? I think, because I'm trying to think like what, was in, but I, I don't know. Like he was a bit, he was a bit like a Scott Morrison daggy type of dad. Sure, so it might have been that. But I think media also influences kids a lot. See, now you that know. is the one thing that I would definitely be doing. I would be trying to give them as close as possible to an upbringing of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, but it's it, but. How do you do that when all of their peers would be on their iPads and phones and talking See, about that? Then you're then you're risking them being socially ostracized. Now this is the thing where now and if anybody knows anything about this, because I'm endlessly fascinated about it, Montessori and Steiner, tell me about it. Like, because it's just so it's so weird with those kids. It's always the same thing. It's like you're a well-rounded, mature person for your age and you know yourself well, like you are a well-developed human being. But you don't know maths. <laughs> and yeah. like, it's, it's like, is it worth it? Because if you went to a Montessori or Steiner school, I'm imagining that they'll just be like, no, you can play with these wooden blocks or Play-Doh. Like there's no phones here. Well, I reckon uh, that would be yeah, the case. I don't know anything about those schools. Um, but that's it. Like, like I, I, if it works, it works. You, you'd have to put in some strict... That's one thing that I would be, like, very, very strict on is just, like, you are not having a smartphone or an iPad and I'm going to put up with the tantrums on the plane. Yeah, yeah? that's something you're going to have to... Nowadays, yeah, yeah. But you know what? Also just constantly reinforcing in them your virtue of patience because I remember as a kid I used to get like an identity thing out of it because my mum and her friends, because she'd always just be dragging me around to go to appointments and things like that and I'd always just be waiting for hours um, and she'd just give me a book or a colouring in book or something like that and they'd always just be like, wow, you're so patient, you're so patient. You never come in and complain, you're so patient. And that stuck as like a big yeah if you can form into some kid's mind the patience thing on identity that they're a patient kid wow that's powerful and that's why every time i hear that marshmallow experiment i'd be like i would pass that one in flying colors i wouldn't pass the financial literacy one you know all that other stuff but waiting for that marshmallow i'd be able to do that for sure I think I would, yeah. I I think that the way that you cultivate that one, though, is not disciplining it into them. I think no. that you just you constantly reinforce it. Every time they're being patient, you just give them heaps of yeah, props for yeah, it. Yeah, positive reinforcement. Yeah. You know, like behaviorism, really. They're just not... The punishment can, always, can sometimes have 
I mean, you need to be punitive in some respects. I don't know. I think that the, the, a lot of the child psychology now just does come across as very hippy-dippy, but these are all people who have studied it far more than I have. But, um, you know, when a kid's being a brat, you don't even yell at them or anything. You're just supposed to wait it out because you don't give them the intention. And I, I don't know if, if actually Eliza would be perfect to talk to this about, but... And, you know, you take into account all the environmental factors now. It's it's rough. It would be so rough. That one's a tough one. And that's why, honestly, I am very, very heavily considering Steiner and Montessori. And as you said before, Catholic schools. It'd have to be one of those. Yeah, I mean, but then even then, like, if, if just the overall culture of the other kids there is is... Not too dissimilar from the norm. I mean, it would have to be dissimilar from the norm if you went to Montessori or Steiner. Yeah, it'd have to be. Yeah, otherwise, yeah, why are people going there? Homeschool is like taken way too far. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you'd even do something like that. They need to be socialized. Obviously, that's like one part of the developmental phase. Yes, but yes, the the other thing that I'm very, very proud of. I don't know if this was because of parenting or because of myself. It was probably a combination of both, actually. But I really do think that the fact that I just played with so much Lego and building blocks and, like, things that almost don't even have a shape, a lot of drawing... Those are the things that I'd really want to be pushing onto my kid because I think that it just naturally makes them more imaginative and creative. If you are putting people in front of a screen all the time, I'd imagine they'd get better processing abilities. They'd be able to just, you know, problem solve things maybe a little bit quicker. But this is the other thing as well. Like games now, they've got a lot of market research into them and they're making them dumber so that the reward system is, you know, like it's it's a lot easier to beat games now than it was in the 80s, right? And there's yeah. a reason for that. They want to be constantly giving off like this, like, congratulations, you've leveled up. Like, cause just, again, another dopamine release. Wow. So that's taken out as well. Right, right. But that's something that you definitely want to be Yes. Pushing on to it's not just academia. Like it's as Jordan no, Peterson says, no. there's the two intelligences. There's yeah. creativity and just intelligence. That's exactly it. Um But the two things that I honestly really want to be pushing into them a lot of free play. That's I think what's li- missing in a lot of kids' lives today, particularly in middle and upper classes because everything's so organised and you've got this extracurricular activity and you've got to do this now and the parents may be overthinking it. Whereas I'm sure if you've got like a dad who just works on a construction site, all right, four o'clock, just go and play outside for a bit mm. and dinner will be ready at 6.30. Mm. Now mm. there's a lot of, there's maybe some fear associated with that well, who, what pedos are lurking out there or whatever. But I mean, you've got to, look, that's how kids learn and then you kind of just got to, let them do that. Like I remember in primary school, because I grew up around all the people I went to primary school with, there was a park I lived next to. I was there every every afternoon. 
Mm. I was there. Mm. And then I went to high school and because it was a selective school, so no one's even in the local area. I didn't know anyone there because I've just moved there. So I was on the internet all the time because there's nothing to do out there. I didn't know any kids there. There's not really a park nearby. Mm. So, mm. you mm. know. Yeah. What else is there to do? Exactly. Look, that's definitely... I think that a big reason why all people in the inner city are so fucked and vote green is because they've never seen a blade of grass in their life. And I think that that actually does really fuck your head. Just even the fact... There's lots of study into this, but the fact that you have a garden around here is important. It is important. And that's something that I would want to be doing with my kids as well is making sure that there's a forest nearby. I think a connection to nature is actually very, very important for development. Um, and there was one other. Yeah, and then the two Tony Robbins values that I think I want to be really instilling into them is I want to be constantly reinforcing, and this is actually the piece of advice that I would give to you, O faithful listener. You want to be instilling into them to not seek significance or certainty or uncertainty or uh, connection. Well, yeah, connection. Like these are all needs. You need them, but like growth and contribution. Every time I ever see them contributing or growing in a certain way, I want to be reinforcing that as hard as I possibly can. As in take them on some like trip or something like that as a surprise thing, just being like because you did that. That's Mm. what I want to be doing with that for sure. That's how you make, like, a truly upstanding citizen that I think is just, like, geared to succeed. Mm. Yeah, the appropriate reward mechanisms. Using the rewards to... to congratulate the good behaviours rather than as a sort of... uh, You know, you don't want to use them to... to ameliorate bad behaviors like oh you're being loud all right just have a chocolate or something because that's you know that's that's very lazy too because like it works with anything one of the best mums that i knew growing up actually she was just like the super mum right mm-hmm. she was the one that you know was like a, 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 a in in the department of education but was also just like a good mum naturally just very successful not very successful like she was one of those people that just had like a great balanced life and just lived in the fucking Donna Hay house, you know, like just mm. perfect step with wife kind of thing. But she was just a sick mum. And her kids used to tell me stories, and I always thought that this was just so true, is every time the kid was crying or like throwing a tantrum and they're on the plane and they wouldn't shut up and then you see all these shitty parents either just being like you fucking play the playstation shut up or like just like what are you this is the worst one what are you crying about what are you crying about what why are you crying just asking that over and over which is just rule one of all self-help which is just like you don't focus further on the thing especially to a kid you're not just keep saying like why are you crying Mm. what she did which I thought was genius, and I think that this is a piece of wisdom that will stand to the test of time, is I actually think that a lot of punishment can go unimpeded if you just change the focus of the kid. Like, she used to just say, like, when they were, like, throwing a tantrum, being like, I want to go and get a chocolate milk or something like that. She'd be like, hey, was that just a, a, an alien that just went past? Was that, was that a UFO out there? And then the kid would be like, Where? I don't see it. 
and that had stopped the tantrum. Mm. You just change their focus very quickly and it's done. And then you can just positively reinforce them. Distraction okay. and positive reinforcement. I think yeah, that's, that's yeah. like a good way to do it. Well, to, to, to conclude on this one, I, I, I am on the exact same page as our question asker here in that many of the the books I've read, but a lot of these podcasts that I've listened to, just it's well, first of all, it's completely changed the trajectory of my life and who I am in such a formative time because I started being exposed to these when I was in my early 20s and just completely shaped who I am. So it will invariably have an effect on my kids if I ever do have them. So, and I listen to these same podcasts he does. So he sounds like a. Sounds like he'd be a great father, <laughs> especially because he listens to this one. Yeah, unsolicited parenting advice by two guys. <laughs> never, had kids. never looked after Not a even kid. thinking about having kids. <laughs> That's the first time we thought about having kids. That's what we're calling this podcast: unsolicited parenting advice. That's. I mean, that's. Oh man, that's so good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've yeah, got a like cat. That, hey, thanks for the thought experiment. My cat's man. great. She doesn't scratch anything. No, and if you look around in this house, uh, Neil has <laughs> thought about that cat a lot. It's obvious. For the first two, three months, and then, and then I was like, yeah, she's fine. But that's kind of what I think you do. That's the formula. Yeah, that's where the, that's when you need. To. No, because I read. I did. I didn't do the PhD thing. I read a lot of books about having a cat, and there's just a lot of few. There was a lot of basic things to begin with. You want to set them up as like the places they're not supposed to be. You got to set it up really quite at the outset of when they're there. So I put all this sticky tape on the things that I didn't want her to jump on. Because so she jumps on that, she's like, "I oh, want to pause like it. And yeah. you put. And you can put um, catnip on the places you want her to go. You can. I started feeding her on some of those shelves in her cat tree so that she'd hopefully associate that with like, oh, this is fun, this is positive. Um, and, yeah, she just uses a litter tray very – she also was just a very well-behaved cat. I was very lucky. Like never has pissed or shat anywhere she's not supposed to, has never scratched anything other than the scratch posts. She wow. will rarely jump on the because I got stovetop here, and um, the last time I saw her jump on it was months ago. And as soon as I do it, I'll like stand up and she just knows and jumps off. So I don't know. Maybe when I'm out, she'll do it. But um, she's now picks up on like when I'm, I'm angry as well. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, as soon as she'll jump on something she's not supposed to jump on, I'll, I'll just. I'll give her a look. And that's yeah, it. I'll literally just like kind of stand up a bit and she'll jump off immediately. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But yeah, you are right. She she was a good-natured cat to begin Very good-natured. I was very lucky with the cat. I've had some, I've heard some horror stories. Yeah. Um, like, and she is so affectionate. As she you, is. She's literally just on your groin. <laughs> yeah, she's like great. She's a, she's a great minutes. cat. Yeah. She's the perfect cat. And also, no, but I like to think testament to you, there is like toys and stuff around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You got to, apparently playing with the cat is a lot like walking a dog. No one does it. Um, so look, for the first three months, I was with that wand all day and then I, I kind of dropped off, which I shouldn't have, but I did. <laughs> and yes, there's a lot of stimulation and um, you got to think vertically if you've got a cat. So you don't want to, you don't want to just, 
um, you want to give them layers to jump onto and things in the jungle, right? They're all on trees and things like that. And that's where they feel safe when they're like atop something. Um, so and that and now yeah, that you look at the design of your, apartment, if you look at you've like, done it. yeah, yeah. So there's a cat tree to the shelves and yeah. Yeah, this is a good environment. That's a nice success story of rehoming an animal. Yeah, really and she's a, shelter, she's a rescue as well. <laughs> i got to put that in there. <laughs> a little brag. Yeah, do it. There's a rescue, bro. It deserves it. It's always good when someone gets a rescue. So there's, uh, I forget what the books are called, but um, there's one guy, oh, he's so cringe, but it, look, it's good advice, but... Uh, He's like known as the cat daddy and he's been on like, he's on all those shows that you'd expect him to be on like Oprah, Dr. Oz, any of those like daytime yeah. TV shows that are going to be, he's like this yeah. bold guy who's like known as the cat daddy, but he's written a few books and they're really good if you're going to buy a cat. Did he do Ellen? He w- uh, Yeah, I'm sure he did. Actually, you know what actually does, it's definitely true, like uh, reading in the field definitely. Yeah, that's the that's it's definitely that has just dramatically changed my life, and most people don't do it, and it's actually scary. Yeah, it does freak me out a lot. That was the piece of advice that, like, I remember really changed my life. Still remember today of Brian Tracy saying that most people don't ever read about their finances, or they don't read about their field, or they don't read about raising children, and then they wonder why they have no success in their careers and terrible children. So, like, look, even though we were saying you can over-intellectualize it, nature helps a lot, as he's just, Niels has pointed out, even those basic concepts in your mind of, like, oh, cats need jungly things to jump around in, that would have helped that cat out a lot. Yeah. Basic, even just, like, general reading in everything, because that's something that I'm just, like, so angry about every time I ever see it, is when a dog is in a backyard constantly barking and digging holes and then their fat piece of shit owner <laughs> is just being like, why is he so misbehaved? Because you never walk the fucking thing, you dickhead. That, that, <laughs> that is the thing that just angers me. More than animal cruelty, more. Because I'm just like, that's a really subtle form of animal cruelty. You've just put a very social animal in solitary confinement and what crime did it commit? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's no. so cruel. So it's yeah. really cool to know that, like, you play with your cat and, like, you keep you make sure that it's uh, occupied, you know? Yeah, keep it stimulated. And we've got puzzle feeders as well. That's really good. So those are ones where you need to actually work a little bit to get the food. Mm. That's, that's, a, great, <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah, and then even right at the start, I was training her to actually do things that a dog would. So for a while there, I was getting it. When I would go, she'd jump onto something and I'd even, like, do that and, she'd ju- like, she'd put her hands up and... But that she lost. Uh, like there was a. I literally took a month off everything to just train her. <laughs> but um, eventually, I was like, "Ah, oh, it's probably a bit much." Um, so she's lost that skill now. But uh, I like to think at the start there it was that kind of like just call and response that has now made her very amicable. But I think it's just her nature more than anything. But you know what? I think we'll leave there. Enough about me bragging about how good of a cat owner I am. That's. <laughs> Such a cat owner thing to do, but uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for these questions uh, from Ben and Anon. Uh, NeilColhadka.com slash podcasts, and you can send in a question or a topic or a shout-out. I mean, look, this question, usually with the questions, we'll go 10 to 15 minutes. This one, we went 
basically did it as a topic. So maybe you'd get you'll get lucky. Send in a question <laughs> and we'll make it a whole topic. Um, and uh, come see us live. Yes, comedyuntamed.com. Uh, I think this is coming out on the 12th of June. So Brisbane next week. Yeah, come along to the Brisbane show, comedyuntamed.com. And then Western Sydney the week after that. Go see Jordan live as well. It's got a great show. We'll see you next time, guys. Thank you. There you go.